Hello and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psychology podcast hosted by clinical psychologists Dr. Layla Dan Osman, Dr. Mary Simray McDonald, and Dr. Jennifer Vrend. We hope that this podcast helps parents, children, and teens learn new coping skills in dealing with their stress and anxiety and to help strengthen relationships in their lives. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Coping Toolbox. I'm Dr. Jennifer Rend, and I'm joined today by Joanne Doucette. We're going to be talking about helping your child cope with grief. We're so honored to have Joanne here today to discuss this topic. Joanne's education includes a Master of Social Work degree from the University of Toronto and a Bachelor of Arts degree in Psychology from Queen's University. She's registered with the College of Social Workers and Social Service Workers of Ontario and the Ontario Association of Social Workers. Her professional experience includes nine years at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, working on the inpatient psychiatry unit and in palliative care at Roger Nielsen House. She's been working in private practice since 2009 and has taught in the social work department at Carleton University. Joanne also runs workshops and presents to community groups on a range of mental health topics. Joanne has a special focus in working with families facing serious illness, trauma, and grief, including parents who have experienced the death of a child and children who have experienced the death of a parent. There is no fixing grief, but her approach is to help the bereaved to process emotions and learn to live with their loss finding purpose and meaning in their life again. Joanne has played a role in my grief journey as well as my son's, and I feel privileged to have her joining us on The Coping Toolbox. Joanne, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Jen, for having me. It's such a privilege to be here, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Great. Thanks so much. So before we get started, both Joanne and I wanted to share a little bit about some of our own experiences with grief. So for me, grief is something that I've come to know very well. I lost my best friend to suicide when I was 19. I lost my mom to cancer a few years ago. And my son's father died a year and a half ago when my son was only 11 years old. My experiences have taught me that there isn't an easy and straightforward way to work through grief, but there are things that help. My heart goes out to anyone who's working through their own grief and or helping their child work through grief. Our goal today is to reinforce that this is so hard and so challenging, but also emphasize that you're not alone and hopefully provide some ideas that help you work through the grief journey. So Joanne, if you're comfortable, would you like to share a bit about your own experiences with grief? Definitely. And I have had losses as an adult, but I think the one I would want to touch on in our conversation today is one of really my first memories of loss as a child, because it did have a real impact and it wasn't an immediate family member even. Um, but we know children experience many different kinds of losses and, and it, yeah, it can have a huge impact. So when I was in grade four and about 10 years old, my classmate Ricky died and it was very sudden. It happened over a weekend and I still can remember that day like it was yesterday, and that's going back decades ago. And all of us came into school, regular school day, and this was a really caring school community with many adults that were so dedicated to the kids and just so loving. And yet when I look back on that day, I realize how the adults were not prepared for how to support the children with what had happened. So Ricky had died in a sudden accident, and it was very a very traumatic loss for his family, and the school had found out about it, and 
they actually announced it over the intercom along with the morning national anthem and prayer. And Ricky was in our class. And I still remember he sat kind of in front and beside me, like just off, you know, um, on an angle. And I remember thinking, where's Ricky? Like, why is this? He must be sick. And during the announcement, the lawnmower was going outside. So we, our class did not hear that part of the announcements. And so when we got out at recess, the other grade four class came rushing up to us and they were saying things like, Ricky's dead. Did you hear Ricky's dead? And all of us were shocked. And I still remember going up to my teacher who was on yard duty and saying, is that true? Is Ricky really dead? And I just remember she couldn't talk because, of course, the teachers were grieving. And so because initially the children, as children, we weren't being given all the information. And so what I remember very clearly were the schoolyard stories going around about what had happened to him, what he must have looked like, like really children will use their imagination in the absence of the truth. And that part was very distressing. Now, what did the school do right? They did some things really well. They took all the grade four to six students were invited to the service at the church. It was a Catholic school. And that was really important because actually the kids had permission to cry at the service and many kids were crying at the service. And I remember, I remember that clearly. And um, they also developed an award that year. Ricky was an incredible child. He was one of those children that everybody loved. He played with girls, the boys, everybody. And he really had such a bright spirit about him. He was really gentle and sweet. And they actually created an award called the Ricky Spirit Award. And it was awarded every year to a child who embodied his values and his way of being caring. So it wasn't about who got the highest marks, who was the best athlete. Yeah. And so that was really beautiful because I remember that was a tradition that then went on and on as the years followed. And it was a way to always keep Ricky's spirit alive and his memory alive and keep us all talking about him. And I think it meant a lot to his family. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So obviously the parts and we'll talk about that in our conversation today. You know, what can adults do to support children? Well, we know so much more, you know, 30 plus years later. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you've been talking, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is just how the death of someone can affect us. And, you know, there are circumstances where, you know, you you don't expect that that individual might be as affected as they are. Right. And so I think just being aware of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone really close. It's just the idea of death, particularly with kids, um, you know, because sometimes it's the very first experience with death and it, it can just be so overwhelming. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is just that, you know, and, and even as a parent and given some of my experiences, um, that feeling like you, you need to do everything right. And I know that's going to be a topic we talk about today is just there is no perfect way of doing it. Um, but just the ideas behind trying to be open and honest. And, you know, I think you even said with the church, it was sort of that you had permission to cry. Right. And I think, yes. just, you know, being for the child, allowing them to feel whatever they need to feel. So I think that's, you know, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I think it really kind of opens up a lot of these topics that we're going to be discussing today. So So thanks for that, Joanne. Um, So just in terms of getting started, I thought, you know, normally what we do on this uh, podcast is we talk about, you know, what's the expected course of uh, whatever the issue is and, you know, what are we expecting to happen? Um, But it's much more challenging with grief. It's much more complex and, and very unique to individuals. So I thought maybe we'd start out by just kind of talking about what grief is, uh, just in general. Can you tell me a little bit about grief? 
Absolutely. Um, it, I only really found out about the difference between grief and mourning when I started really working in this area when I was in palliative care. And it's actually really helpful to distinguish. So grief is the internal experience we have when we're faced with loss. So we know that when someone we love dies, there's going to be an uh, an emotional reaction to the loss of that person's presence in your life. And mourning, on the other hand, is how we show our grief. It's the outward expression of the internal experience. So when we talk about children in grief, we're going to be looking at how can we support them to express their grief because actively mourning and showing your grief and working through it. So whether it's through activities that really honor the memory of the loved one who has died, whether it is by talking about it, as we're doing today, it could be writing, music, participating in ceremony and rituals. There's so many ways to take that feeling on the inside and get it out and express it. And actively mourning is a really important way to protect children emotionally and help them cope. Okay. So you're saying, so the grief is really, it's sort of what's internal. Um, Other people don't really see it. You don't really necessarily even know what's there. You might assume. Um, Whereas the mourning is actually what you see. Is that, is that kind of the best way to Yes. Yeah. So for example, um, when we go to the cemetery Mm. and visit the gravesite of our loved one, that is actively mourning. When we attend a support group and we talk with others in the group about how we're feeling, that's actively mourning. You know, at Christmas time when families, um, you know, maybe they hang a special ornament on the tree that is symbolic of their relationship with their loved one, or they light a candle in memory of their loved one. They make a toast and they all share a memory over dinner, like all of these different ways that we honor that person, remember them, and also honor our own feelings and keeping that connection, keeping that ongoing relationship with the person who's died. Those are all ways to actively mourn. Okay. Okay. And just, you know, I, I mean, I think I know where this, the answer to this question, but, you know, uh, as someone listening to this and, and kind of going through their own experiences with grief, is there an expected pattern? And I know, you know, sometimes people have it in their head. There's these stages you go through and you kind of have to pass through all the stages, but can you speak to that at all? Is there an expected pattern that people go through when it comes to grief? Such a great question. And, you know, if only there was something we could tell caregivers who are listening to this and who are so worried about their children. If only we could say, here's what's going to happen and here's what you can do at each step. You're you're on step three and there's five steps. (laughs) Yes. And of course, people talk about the stages of grief from um, a really wonderful uh, person named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And, you know, they really have been expanded. We've expanded to look at how we don't have sort of particular stages we go through in a particular order, but there are some common experiences that people often have, but really it's a unique journey for each person. And this is true for children too. And it depends on a lot of factors. So it really depends on the relationship you had with the person that died Mm-hmm. Um, that it could be, for example, you know, how, how loving and supportive the relationship was, how much that person was just an everyday presence in your life and how difficult the adjustment is when they're gone. Um, it could also be about how the child copes with emotions. We know that given our personality differences, we, some of us are more 
expressive and talk about feelings openly. Even with kids, we see from an early age, some are more reserved about their feelings and find it a lot harder to put it into words. Um, so it can depend on a lot of factors. Another important factor to consider is, you know, the accumulation of grief. So have there been other big changes or losses in that family for that child? Because it can be especially hard to cope with the death of a loved one when there's already been a number of changes and losses to cope with. So especially now amid the pandemic with our collective loss and trauma, it's really important to keep that in mind. Children have already dealt with so much change and unpredictability. So if they then experience a death, it may hit them that much harder. They're already kind of vulnerable, right? And it's sort of, you know, maybe not at their best and not quite as resilient with all of these other losses. Yeah, that's a good Yes, point. yeah. And that's true for many of us, right? Many of us are feeling the, the strain and stress of almost two years um, of the pandemic. And so that's just something we always want to keep in mind and maybe just reason for that much more compassion and support and expecting being open to the possibility that it's, it's extra challenging in some ways. But again, it's really different person to person. And, you know, it also can depend on where the child is at with their development. You know, so we're going to see much younger children uh, react in different ways than, say, a teenager. Um, it's really common with children, actually, of a variety of ages, even preteen children I've seen do this, where for quite a long time, they might still, you know, refer to their, say, if they've lost a parent, then they might refer to their parent using the present tense. You know, so they might th say things like, oh, my dad, you know, loves to ski versus my dad loved to ski. And that can continue for a while. And that's just part of their brains processing and adjusting to this new reality. Mm -hmm. Younger children often really show their feelings and their emotions through their behavior rather than putting it into words. I mean, even for us as adults, it can be so hard to put those overwhelming emotions into words. So, of course, it could be that much more challenging for children. So if they can't find the words, they're going to show it in their behavior. So you may see acting out. There may be more clinginess. They might be a lot more sensitive to just day-to-day -day things, you know? So like one example would be if, if your child is sort of having a complete meltdown over something that seems so small to you, like mm -hmm. someone knocks over, you know, a glass of juice at the breakfast table and they just have a meltdown. It's okay to assume, you know, there's a lot that my child is dealing with right now emotionally. And, you know, maybe this is just the thing that just seems too much for them to cope with. So they show it often in their behaviors. And so we want to be tuned into what's happening with, with kids and their behaviors. That said, again, it's unique child to child. There are some even very young children. I've worked with kids who are as young as five or six that are completely able to put their feelings into words and have a lot to say about how their grief is impacting them. So yes, it, it really is unique and it varies depending on the child. Okay. And, um, you know, I think something that really stands out to me is just the, the range of emotions that people need to work through and then how different those emotions are for different people. Can you tell me a little bit about the emotions that may be linked to grief? Yes. And, you know, really, it's so true that I think, in general, a lot of people um, will kind of think about grief and think about sadness, of course, right? Being really sad, 
and, you know, feeling really down. And it's so true that there's actually like a whole range of feelings. So feelings can really vary um, from sadness to despair to frustration and anger, irritability, resentment, even rage. There can be a lot of loneliness. Um, there can be even jealousy and envy. We see that a lot with kids. So yes, 100%, there can be such a range of different emotions. So one of the things that I've, you know, noticed with with kids that I've worked with and personal experiences is, um, you know, sometimes people seem fine and like everything's okay. And then there's a quick change. Can you speak at all about that kind of, you know, is that is that expected? Is that something you see where there's just, you know, that quick change in emotion? Yeah. And one of a hundred percent that happens. And one of the aspects of children's grief that can definitely differ from us as adults is children are actually quite good at being in the moment. And so, for example, in a family where there's maybe been, say, the death of a parent, the surviving parent may notice that they sort of always have that loss in the back of their mind. And it's this pretty ongoing presence that's always there. And yet they may notice that the children in the family will be really sad and crying or expressing the emotion and talking about um, the death of that parent in one moment. And then literally an hour later, they might be ready to go play outside and they're with their friends and they seem completely fine. And so that is not necessarily children hiding their feelings or suppressing them. That is how children are actually really good at being in the moment. So that is really actually a source of resilience in children that I think we can all learn a bit from kids. Their ability to play and be creative and engage in those aspects of their life is really powerful for coping. So yeah, it is really common that kids kind of chunk their, their grieving and they're expressing their grief. So you might see them you know, really experiencing some big emotions and then not long later having a great day and almost seeming like everything is fine. And that's okay. It's interesting, um, Joanne, because as you were saying this, I was thinking, so my my mom actually passed away on my son's birthday. It was his oh my goodness. Birthday. And it was uh, the, the kids at the time. Well, we didn't actually realize how how quickly things were going downhill. And the kids were outside playing when my mom passed away. And then we let them we had them come in and we spoke to them and we let them know what was going on. So it was my son and and his cousins. And it was so difficult and so hard. And then we're, still, you know, we've got birthday cake and gifts. And it was this very like, do we do we have the cake? Do we not have yes. the cake? And it was so, such a bizarre experience. And then in the end, we decided, well, for the kids' sake, this is what mom would want. And so we we had the cake. And it was so interesting because there was, you know, crying interspersed with laughing and kind of singing happy birthday and all of these different experiences. But it was like the, the kids handled that, I think, better than yes. the adults. Like we were still kind of stuck, you know, and, and it was so it was just such a bizarre experience, but it was nice to see a little bit of the kids still being able to experience those positive emotions and how, you know, obviously they were still, there was tears and crying, but it was just, they shifted back and forth more quickly than we did as adults, for sure. Yes. And you see that a lot. And so it's okay for the adults to, I mean, 
that is hard for adults to do. And so lots of self-compassion for the adults that this feels really strange and might even bring up like uncomfortable feelings of guilt. Like how can we just have this party (laughs) when mom has just died? But um, to remember children really still want to feel joy and they will seek it and they will embrace it in a lot of I'm not saying across the board, I think especially with teens, we might see them struggle a little more sometimes with, you know, the keeping up with those kinds of like special occasions and and really missing the person who's died. But yeah, I can remember like thinking of that story, Jen, that in one of the support groups I was running going back a couple of years ago before the pandemic, we were leading up to Christmas and the kids in the group, I that my co-facilitator and I were really trying to get them to talk about what are you going to do at Christmas to cope with your grief? They had all experienced the death of a parent. And finally, they all said across the board, they all said, we want to have fun. We love this holiday and we want it to be fun and happy. And yes, we will remember our parent who died and we get that, but we're ready to also celebrate the holidays. And I thought that's so great that they were able to say that. And as adults, we have to really respect that because sometimes adults leading into the holiday season might be feeling like, I I really am not in the mood for this. And that's a hard balance to find, but really important to find ways to still keep up traditions and create those moments of joy. Yeah. And I guess that's another, another emotion too, is the guilt, right. And kind of feeling Mm -hmm. like, Oh, we shouldn't be having fun. We shouldn't be celebrating. We shouldn't be laughing because you're thinking of the person that passed away, but how important it is to still be able to celebrate and enjoy and have fun. Yeah. Um, Another emotion that comes to mind is just, just, anger. It's just, it's such a big emotion and not always linked to grief, but could you speak a little bit about, about anger and and how that's involved in grieving? Yeah. So anger is pretty much always about something more vulnerable that is not being expressed. And this is a really hard thing to remember because especially as parents, we're, we've really been socialized to sort of see anger as being disrespectful right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to, it's actually really helpful as caregivers, as parents, to keep in mind that if you're noticing a lot of anger or irritability and maybe attitude or grumpiness from your child who's experiencing grief, there probably is something else that's more vulnerable, hurt, sadness, loneliness, longing, that they're having difficulty letting out and working through. So I really like the iceberg analogy for anger. So if you imagine an iceberg and you think about how there's the tip of the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg, when we're thinking of emotions and anger, that's where the anger is. It's the tip of the iceberg. But if you think of diving deeper into the water, and if you were to get a view of what's under the water, it's that's the huge part of the iceberg. It's massive. That's where all the other vulnerable feelings are. And so we really want to try and help acknowledge and validate those more vulnerable feelings for children. And that is where you often then see the anger start to dissipate a little bit or for kids to be able to cope with it. And if I could just share a quick example, and this is a mom who's actually given me permission to share this with others, because it was really such a big moment for her when she was able to get to this with her son. So um, her son, who was about 12, was really struggling. She came for support because he was angry and irritable all the time. And it really wasn't like him. His personality had really changed. This was a year or so after the death of his father. And she really used a lot of those techniques, which we're going to talk about validating 
putting into words for him what some of his feelings might be, even though he wasn't talking about it. And it took a while, but he fin- she finally broke through and he cried and cried really for the first time and let it all out. And he ended up admitting to her that as the oldest of, of the children in the family and, and, and being a boy and it being his father that died, he was trying to take on this responsibility of sort of being like the man of the family and taking care of everybody else. But he was feeling incredibly overwhelmed and it was coming out as anger. And so for her, she said that was such a shift. Not that everything was perfect, but she saw this like, real connection kind of that really was able to happen again between the two of them and a lot of the anger really softened because he was able to talk about the vulnerable feelings. So I just wanted to share that because it's just such a beautiful example of how it can be really challenging for parents in that in that role to to figure out what's going on, but always remind yourself there's something else under that anger. Right. That kind of it links into the next question I had for you, Joanne, which is just about when your child has been through so much um, and, and they're dealing with so many really strong emotions um, and, you know, sometimes acting out or sometimes doing things that they shouldn't do. And, you know, f- trying to figure out, OK, where 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 should the rules be and do I discipline this kid? And they've just been through so much. So should I be more gentle? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts around sort of just like rules and consequences and disciplining Um, You know, and it's, this is an ongoing thing, but what are your thoughts about that? So what I would say is that it makes sense that when parents are seeing their children in pain and really hurting, there might be a temptation to sort of relax a lot of rules and expectations. And 100% flexibility is really important. When, as I mentioned before, always assume there's something vulnerable going on, you know, and really, lots of love and compassion for kids that have experienced grief. At the same time, uh, it can be a way to support them, can be to keep up routines, to continue with expectations that are really about creating predictability and consistency. So when, uh, you know, with a loving and caring approach, when parents still insist on it's bedtime, it's really important you get to sleep at a good time or, no, we're not going to have whatever it is you want for the fifth night in a row. I've made this nice, healthy meal and you should eat your veggies. You know, when parents insist on those um, really important aspects of family life and still have expectations, it actually creates some security and safety for kids, which deep down they're craving. They really want to know that amid this big change that has turned their world upside down, that there's still an adult that is okay and in charge and creating that consistency for them. So that's what I would say is be flexible for sure. Continue to be loving, compassionate, and really present for your child, but also um, know that keeping up routines and even having consequences for behaviors that are really out of line with family values, that really helps kids to know that actually there's still a lot of things about their family life that are the same. And therefore, that they are, they can feel safer. Does that make sense? Yeah, just having those those expectations, right? And the predictability for the kids is so important. It reminds me to, um, and I, I work with anger management a lot. 
Um, but just the idea that we, we always talk about the emotions are okay. So it's okay to feel angry, but it's what you do with that anger, right? So it's okay to feel angry. It's not okay to hit your sister when you feel angry, yes. right? And like you say, you know, I think it's so important for kids to know that it's okay that they're feeling angry, but then have the adults that can kind of help them walk through what are some healthy ways to cope. And I know we'll talk about that today, but healthy ways to cope with some of those really strong feelings. I love that, Jen. And I, that is such a great message to send. All your feelings are okay, including anger. You have a right. I I think I tell kids that are grieving all the time, you have a right to be angry. That is really hard that this happened to you. You have a right to all your anger. And so in the moment, in the example you give where say kids, the siblings are fighting and you know, the child hits their, their sibling. And so then what I would say is first respond I mean, create the separation, create safety. You do what you need to do as a parent, of course, right? And then there to be a conversation where with compassion and and love, you say, it must be so overwhelming right now because you have all these feelings inside of you and you're not sure what to do with them. You know, for example, right? Try and put into words what you think might be going on inside for your child. Or you had such a long day at school and you've come home and you know, you, I think you're really missing dad. And then your sister did that and it was the final straw and you just, you know, mm-hmm. you lost it. So put all that into words and show compassion and understanding where they're coming from, which validates their emotions and that feeling of anger. Once they're soothed and calm, then you're in a place to talk about what's okay in our family, what's not okay in our family. It's never okay to hit. That was not okay. I want to work on helping you find a different way to cope when you're in that situation, right? And then you can do some problem solving and support. So validate first, problem solve next. But yes, follow up with the limit, the expectation, the consequence. Kids really do need that. So Joanne, we spent a lot of time talking about anger, uh, but I know we did say there's, there's a range of different emotions. Are there any other emotions that come to mind that you think are really important to touch on today? Yes, there's two that I would two other emotions that I would highlight because they do show up often in children that are really grieving and having some complications to the grieving process. So a really common experience for children um, who are grieving is to be anxious. So if they've experienced the loss of, say, an immediate family member, especially when it's someone in a caregiving role like a parent, it's very, very common for children to have this terrible, anxious feeling of what's going to happen next. So if this could happen, if the very worst thing could happen and my parent died, what if my other parent died? Who would take care of me? I would say more children than not who have experienced the death of a parent who come to counseling acknowledge that when I ask and explore. Um, They may worry about something else terrible happening and they may even just have anxiety in other ways. So they might be really anxious about like health issues for themselves or family. They may worry that something could happen to them. They may worry about things that seem really unrelated to the caregivers. So for example, you know, if all of a sudden the, the, your child starts talking about like, oh my gosh, what if bad guys break into my house? Or did you lock the door? And, you know, double checking things like that. It may seem really strange, but there is for kids this, this often this feeling of what else really bad could happen now? So that's a little bit the trauma at play, right? That your whole world being turned upside down and like a lack of predictability and feeling of safety. So you know, we can talk more as we get into what we do to help kids cope, you know, that also helps with anxiety. 
The other one I would highlight is guilt. So especially for children who have complicated grief because of suicide or addiction-related losses, which tragically are really on the rise. I think we're going to continue to see in the statistics coming out from during the pandemic, many more children have experienced these types of losses. And so children might have some feeling of regret or responsibility or guilt related to either not saving their parent, feeling they could have done more somehow to help their parent get better. They often feel guilty about other things. So for example, Many children that maybe are a part of a divorced family might open up eventually with support that they feel really guilty that they didn't spend more time with the person who died, even though it wasn't their fault and it was really outside of their control. And it's just part of the reality of having two homes, but they might feel really guilty. So as caregivers, our instinct with guilt is to reassure and tell children they're not responsible, which is true. But what I would say is first, hold off on the reassurance right off the bat. What you can do that's really therapeutic and supportive is don't fix it, not yet. Just listen with curiosity and compassion. So tell me more about that. That must be so painful that you're remembering that time you came back to my house early and so worried about how that made your dad feel. That sounds so sad for you. Tell me more. And help them to open up about it because so often the reassurance has this opposite impact where it tells the child, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that way. And people don't really want to hear about it. So help them open up and help them process the thoughts and emotions. And then they're going to be in a place where you can start to say, you know, I sort of see it from a different angle. And I'm wondering if I could share that with you. Or even in therapy, there's like therapeutic techniques that we can use to really help children challenge that way of thinking and learn to think differently about that aspect of their loss. Right. Yeah. It's you're really speaking to the validating the emotion. Right. And I think kind of like we said with the anger where it is okay to feel guilt and we don't like to feel guilt, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it's okay to feel that way. But then it's, it's the self blame that follows. And when the child, you know, if they really get stuck on, thinking they've done something to cause it, that's where we need to kind of come in and, and help them. But I really like the way you said, you know, just sitting with them for a little while and helping them feel okay that they're having that emotion so that they can work through the emotion rather than just push it away. Exactly. So if the adults around a child who's expressing guilt are all saying right away, but it's not your fault, you didn't do anything, with such love and compassion, that's a protective instinct. That just comes from a place of love. And the adults are being honest because they don't see the child as responsible. But unfortunately, it can have an unintended consequence, which is it sends a message that's not something that's okay to talk about. So you, you're you exactly right that we want to acknowledge that it's it's often a part of grief to have some feelings of guilt. Now, we know that's a messy part of grief that we can help. Mm-hmm. We can help children to cope with so that it is not so overwhelming for them. And um, I have seen children that have gone from feeling really burdened by so much guilt and responsibility to with the right kind of support, being able to completely let go of that. And then they can focus on the more sort of pure part of the grief, which is the missing that person, wishing that they had that time with them. Like that is a different kind of grief that is more pure and we can really support the child with that when they're able to move past those kind of complicated feelings of guilt and regret. So uh, just moving on, I know one question often asked is what to tell the kids 
particularly if someone is ill and we know they're going to pass or perhaps they've passed away of something more difficult or, or challenging, um, like you mentioned earlier, suicide or addiction. Can you tell me a little bit about how, how do you even talk to kids about these kinds of things? Yes. Yeah, so when it comes to communicating with children, we want to use really concrete, clear language, and we want to avoid expressions that kind of skirt around the reality and leave a lot of unanswered questions for children. So children get very confused at times by terms like passed away or gone, you know, so like, oh, you know, your grandma has gone, um, including like your grandma's gone to heaven. That's like, we want to respect spiritual beliefs, but we also want to be a little more specific and concrete to help children really process what's happened. So in those situations, kids will sometimes talk later about how they thought their loved one was missing rather than dead. Or, you know, they were really confused by Saying that. lost someone. Yeah, that's a very common one. Right? Yes. You lost this person. It is. Yeah, for our kids, that it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you lost them, then why aren't you looking for them, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and then they're also feeling like, well, they're going to come back. And they're not, you know, they're not, they don't think about the finality of it, which doesn't allow them to start really the grieving process. So it's really important to use specific kind of honest language. So as an example, um, you know, rather than saying grandpa got sick and died, give a little bit more detail at a age appropriate level. So for example, grandpa had a heart attack, which means that his heart stopped beating because of a serious problem. The doctors tried very hard to help him, but they couldn't fix it. So grandpa died. Of course, kids will often have more questions. Well, where is grandpa now? What does that look like? It's always good um, with questions around life and death. Of course, we don't have all the answers. So we can also sometimes come back to kids with, you know, well, what's your feeling about that? What do you think? Get Especially around spirituality. Ask kids what their thoughts and feelings are about that. But also to acknowledge, you know, there's a lot of mysteries about death. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know all the answers, but you can keep asking me questions and we can keep talking about it together. So really keep it open. Um, Yeah, but give enough information. So if you were to say the example with grandpa, just that grandpa got sick and died. The problem is, what if then there's a cold that goes through the family? Will the child worry that they're all going to die because they're all sick with a cold. So that's why we want to give a little more about the specific problem that led to the death. So what can parents do? How can they talk about death in a supportive and honest way? What do you have some more directions or instructions or thoughts around that? Yeah, for sure. And I might even first address like, what do you do if you know that there's someone in the family that's going to die? right? Like that is really important as well. And so when there is um, a family member or a loved one who has like a terminal illness, and it's clear that that person is going to die, it's so important, even though adults will often as a way to love and protect their child, not want to give them the full truth. It's important to be really honest. So if you have that opportunity If you know that someone is dying, which families don't always have that opportunity, sometimes losses are really sudden and you don't get that chance. Give a child a chance to be part of the end of life process, to say goodbye, to have a visit, 
to talk to their loved one. That can be very helpful later on if kids have that opportunity. The other thing to remember is children really know when something like that is going on in their family. And if information is kept from them, even at a very young age, they often feel that something is happening. So it's better to be honest and tell them the truth and support them with the emotions that come up than hide the truth. And then there's a few things that can happen. They could lose trust in the caregivers. And they might be really angry later if they found out that information was kept from them that, you know, meant they didn't get a chance to say goodbye or that they didn't know it was coming. They often might get more anxious because they feel that something is happening, but they can't put their finger on it and they don't know for sure. So often kids without the the facts at hand will imagine something else is happening. So a child that has a parent who's very ill, but the parents aren't saying what's happening might feel the tension and stress and decide that their parents must be getting divorced or that they've done something wrong, the child, and that mom and dad are angry at them. So that's that's there's many reasons to be honest with kids, even though I also want to fully validate it is so hard to do. Um, yeah. But children have rights as well. And children have a right to know when something that affects them so much is happening and to be given the chance um, to be part of that end of life process. Um, yes. And, and so when it comes to, you know, how can we support them after a loss? Um, I think that there's a lot we can do to support kids around being able um, to talk about it. So we can really um, practice with kids. Like, so you're going back to school, you know, the funeral, the week of, of, sort of right following the death has ended and you're helping your child to get ready to go back to their class. There's going to be a lot of questions from their peers, right? About where they've been or what's happened. So really being open and curious to what they want to say or what they're thinking of saying and helping them plan it out is a really concrete way to support children. We don't want to just leave it up to them to figure it all out on their own. So that's one thing we can definitely do. So as you were talking, Joanne, it's, uh, I, it actually hit me because I don't know if you remember, but I actually approached you and my son's father was in the hospital um, because I wasn't sure if he should visit him or not. And mm. I think that's a very hard decision. In the end, I did decide um, that, you know, that it would probably be best. And, and you kind of helped me with this decision. But he did go see his father and you saw him. And it was very challenging because of COVID, um, wow. which it is for very a lot of families. Um, but he was able to go in. Um, which I think, I think it was helpful in his grieving process. Um, and then, you know, the other side of it is I'm I'm thinking some people are going to be listening to this and maybe they decided for whatever reason not to, which I can totally relate to because I was really not sure what I'm a child psychologist and I didn't know what to do. Um, so I think, you know, the more, even if some of these decisions have been made and you think back and I look back at things and I think I could have done that differently. Right. And maybe of I course. Have done that differently. And there's, there's different things, but I think that's where, you know, being able to even communicate after the fact and talk to your child and say, you know, like I decided this was best at that time for these reasons and we can talk about it and we can discuss it and just trying to be open and honest with your kid because there is no perfect way to go through these things. Oh, 100%. And you know, Jen, um, as you know, my dad died um, six years ago today, actually. And when my son of the kids in the family, my son was 10 at the time, the oldest of the grandkids, incredibly close to my dad. 
And he still just recently, we had a talk, really regrets that he didn't see my dad during the last mm-hmm. week of his life. That was so yeah. painful for him. He he and and of course, I regret too that I didn't make more time for that last visit for him. And we do the best that we can in yeah. the moment. And for families facing um, a loved one dying, it's complicated. Caregivers are often in a very tough situation of caring for children, also being involved somehow in the care of the loved one who's dying. And we all do the best with the resources yep. we have at that moment. And it is rarely perfect. That's for sure. Yeah. So yep. I, and I agree with you that it is never too late to go back and help children to have, to process, to say things even to their loved one that they didn't get to say at the time. Yeah. And I do think that's an example of where therapy can be really helpful because I do that all the time with kids in therapy. We write letters to their loved one who's died. We come up with rituals um, that they can engage in to remember them. So yes, it's never too late to support them. And I think caregivers, I want all of you listening to have so much compassion for yourselves that you're all doing the very best in very difficult circumstances. I'm so glad you said that, Joanne, because it's, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, and I think we are so hard on ourselves and then particularly, you know, y- you feel you look back and and you have some of those feelings. I could have mm-hmm. done it differently. I should have done it differently, but you're in a grieving process as well. And so I think that compassion for yourself is so important. One of the other things I, I wanted to talk about is just um, how how often uh, and how common it is for people with good intentions um, to say things and they mean well but it can be really harmful and we can't control what other people are saying. Um, you know, but I've, you know, I've, I've had these comments and, and I know I've, I've spoke to lots of people that have had these, these types of comments, like, you know, it's been a month, you should be moving on or you shouldn't cry in public or, you know, different comments that, you know, might really hurt and might really affect you. Do you have any thoughts about how people can sort of manage some of those, what are supposed to be, you know, it's supposed supposedly good advice, but really it's harmful. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. Um, Oh my goodness. There are so many things that people say with good intentions um, that can end up unintentionally feeling really terrible um, for all of us of any age, but especially, you know, just thinking of children. So our society loves cliches and we have many of them. And another thing, so this is not on any individuals, it's just how we're all socialized. We say certain things, right? Um, And also our society really advocates a lot for somehow suppressing emotion. And there's this equating being strong with not showing a lot of feeling. And so we, as the adults and caregivers to children, have been socialized to, to feel that way. And again, I can just give an example for myself. I look back on when my dad died. I had been a grief therapist for a number of years already, had worked in palliative care, and I would not let myself cry at the wake or funeral. I have, why was I doing that? It was a perfect opportunity to really process some of my feelings with all these caring friends and family that were there. And I put so much pressure on myself, even during the eulogy, not to cry. That is how we are socialized right? To present in a certain way. And that can really cause harm. So what I would say is when we're met with cliches, like um, something, you know, what would be a good one, like, oh, they're in a better place, you know, that maybe really doesn't feel great. 
So we can help kids to know that, first of all, that is about how our society, like we can explain to them that people say things with good intentions, but it doesn't necessarily always feel good. And we can validate for them how that really doesn't feel well, feel very good. Mm -hmm. And we can help kids to be, I like the idea of um, Alan Wolfelt, whose work on grief I love, he talks about being a responsible rebel. You know, let's get around these, these societal norms and create new ones. So we as adults can lead the way. We can talk about how we're feeling. We can show how we're feeling. So, you know, as the caregiver, you can let yourself cry and talk about your feelings with others and then remind your child that they can do the same. No matter what other people are telling you, this is okay. I also think, you know, uh, another one that people who are grieving bring up a lot is how do you answer how are you? So when people are first seeing you after after your loss and they it's say probably one of the most like hated questions after you've lost someone because yes. you I remember even in in a grief group I was in where it was just sort of like what do you, like how do you respond to that so yes. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that one Joanne so again. <laughs> no shame for anyone who says that I say it to people too it slips out when I'm talking to people yep, who are grieving I do too. yeah a hundred percent because it's it's a social norm that we have learned that's how we greet people but as as um, adults let's if we're if we're seeing a child who we know is going through grief we can try some different things so we can instead of saying how are you we could say something like hey I'm so glad to see you I've been thinking about you lots that's a greeting. Like, hey, here you are. I'm seeing you. I've been thinking about you a lot. You can say something like, how are you doing today? That's one that a lot of grieving people have told me feels a bit better because yeah. it's kind of acknowledging t what's today like, right? Amid mm -hmm. everything else, yeah. what is today like? You know, it's a little bit different. Um, so yeah, I think there's other ways we can consciously work on greeting people. And sometimes it's as simple as just I'm really glad to see you, you know, so thinking of, for example, teachers greeting a child coming back to the classroom, right, to just yeah. say, I'm so glad you're here. You've been on my mind, right? Mm -hmm. Or let me yeah. know, let me know if there's something I can do to support you. I'm here for you, mm -hmm. right? Just those simple mm -hmm. statements, rather than how are you? Because how do children, we as adults don't even know how to put that into words. How can children put that into words? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess too. the other side would be even to have to help your child kind of walk through it. You could even do role playing with the child. But, you know, what are some things if somebody says, how are you? You know, you can say I'm OK. And, you know, let your child know that that, you know, sometimes kids feel like, well, that's lying. Right. But let them know in those circumstances that's OK to say or you, you can let them know that you're having a really hard time or, you know, maybe choose what what works for your child. Right. And depending on how they're feeling that day, it might look different. But even walking through some of that might be helpful. Yes. I love actually creating scripts with people who are grieving, adults included. But I do this with kids around, okay, so you're in this tricky situation, you're dreading, for example, I don't know, going back to hockey and everyone on the hockey team, you know, knows that this has happened in your family and what do you say? So then we plan it, you know, what feels right to you? Can I share some ideas? And I agree with you, Jen, I think encouraging um, kids, it's okay to acknowledge that you've been through something really hard and it's also okay, though, that if you don't want to get into it, that particular group of people or that person, you can also plan a little segue to move the conversation along. So I do a lot of like practice, you know, what do you want to say? Yeah, 
it's been a really hard time. I'm really sad. Um, and then, okay, if the children say, but I don't want to talk about it any more than that. Okay, perfect. What question can you then ask your classmates, your hockey teammates, whoever it is that you're talking to? And we practice that. So like, you know, how are things going on the team? Like, how was the last game? And that then shifts the focus off of the child and onto the people that they're talking to. And so helping kids to develop those communication skills and empowering them is a really good way to increase coping. Like in general in life, if we help kids with their communication skills and assertiveness and knowing their rights in situations, but especially when they've been through grief and trauma, we wanna support them in knowing, yeah, you have a right to talk about your feelings. You also have a right to not share a lot of personal information if you're not ready to. That is 100% your choice. So wherever we can empower kids, give them choices, Remind them of their rights as a grieving child to access support, to also create boundaries where they need them. I think that is can be very empowering. And a lot of times kids turn around and they, they say, wow, I can say that. Like I can tell someone like, thank. so for example, another one we work on is thanks for asking. Yes, it's been really hard. I'm getting, I'm getting through it. Okay. I've got good support. I actually don't really want to talk about it anymore, but thank you yeah. for asking. And they and they look at me, I can do that. I can say that. <laughs> yes, that yeah. is your right. You have a right yeah. to set that limit. Yeah. So yeah, wherever, for, so for parents listening, teachers, anybody in a caregiving position, remind children that when they are dealing with a, a big loss, any kind of loss, their rights are really important and it's okay to advocate for yourself. Yeah, I love that, Joanne. And just, uh, I think, again, it just kind of builds the resilience, just empowering, empowering the child in those circumstances. Um, the next thing I was wanting to talk about, um, and this is one, it's kind of interesting, because I feel like it's, it's just as a parent, you, you often have this feeling when something's wrong with your child, you want to swoop in and you want to fix it. And, you know, whether they're sad or anxious or angry, whatever it is, you want to swoop in, you want to fix it. Um, and I know we've talked about it before, but in particular with grief, it doesn't work that way. It isn't that you mm -hmm. fix it. So what I was hoping is maybe we could talk about some of the tools that caregivers can use to help um, rather than fix or solve their child's grief. Yes. So there's a number of principles that we can come back to that tend to be helpful for most people. So first of all, I want all caregivers listening to know, remember we talked before about how you don't have to do it all perfectly. You can't do it all perfectly when you're experiencing loss and it's a complicated situation. But just being caring and loving and very present in your child's life is a huge protective factor. So when they see that you as their caregiver are probably grieving along with them, um, and are having a hard time, and yet you're also still that wise, strong adult in their life, that is a huge protective factor for every child. So on that note, what I would say is often it's even more important for caregivers to get the support first and foremost, you know? And yes, like we can get supports like counseling in place with children when they're dealing with complicated grief, but actually the, the caregivers having really strong support is a huge priority. So I would say as a caregiver listening, make sure you're getting good support, whether it's informal supports through friends and family, where you feel like you have a lot of connections to lean on or reach out for professional support or peer group, grief groups, um, whatever's gonna help you. 
because you deserve that care and support, but also because it will really help your child. Another principle I would come back to, which we've already touched on a little bit throughout this um, this conversation, is that idea of try and hold back from wanting to fix and problem solve because grief has no easy solutions, right? Mm-hmm. It's an emotional, physically felt experience that there's no quick fix for it. So always when you feel that instinct to jump in and, and fix, when your child is having some big emotions or they're going through a tough time related to their grief, remember to validate, use your active listening, right? So mm-hmm. ask open-ended questions like, you know, tell me more about that. Um, I'm so glad you're talking to me and I'm here for you. Take your time. Whatever helps like open up and get your child to share with you and feel connected. So connection is huge. If they feel close and connected, that's going to really help them to cope. Just then you can move once they're soothed and you've really been able to support them with whatever happened that day or whatever emotional experience you're ha- they're having then you can really move into offering some practical supports and doing some reassurance and problem solving. I would also highlight the value of, as we talked about before, routine and predictability, keeping up routines, keeping kids in the activities they love um, as much as possible. Um, You know, the question around like school attendance when kids have gone through losses is a good one. Again, we sometimes have to allow for some flexibility and, you know, a mental health day here and there. But trying to keep them in those routines can really provide a lot of connection and stability and also being patient and remembering that grief is a long journey, especially when it's like the loss of an immediate family member, like a parent or sibling or a caregiver. Children will circle back to their grief at different developmental stages. So if your child lost a parent a few years ago and now they're hitting puberty and the teen years and all of a sudden you notice them asking more questions about the parent that died, you know, um, struggling more with their emotions, just know that 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 does happen. And then it's just time to go back to all those strategies we just discussed, being present, supportive, open to whatever it is that they need. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the, the first one that you touched on too is, is so important. Uh, just as a parent, having support, having help yourself. Um, it kind of reminds me, we talked about self-compassion and, you know, there is this whole role and, and I say this to myself a lot, but if I'm not taking care of myself well, it makes it that much harder to take care of my child. Right. And I think, you know, that, that piece is so important. So in order to do all of these things, you know, we have to be taking care of ourselves, being patient with ourselves, finding our own routine. You know, a lot of these things we have to do for our child, but we have to make sure we're doing them for ourselves too. Again, it's, it comes back to that role modeling, uh, you know, and role modeling healthy behaviors. And, you know, mm-hmm. as, as challenging as it is, it's, I think it's a very helpful way to look at it as well. And I would say that, yes, I mean, so as a caregiver, when you reflect on your own experience, I mean, you deserve to be healthy and well. So do it for yourself because you deserve that. But it's also really good insight that the the more that caregivers are engaging in self-care, having good connections, good support system, 100%, of course, the more you're going to be able to tolerate some of the ups and downs in your child's emotions and, and be present to them. But also, it's amazing role modeling. Children look to you know their caregivers for cues on how to cope 
and how to react to these these changes and losses in their life. So it's such a great example to set for them. So um, just in terms of seeking support and getting help, um, just thinking for some of you know the the people that might be listening to this uh, podcast. What are, are there certain maybe I don't know if you want to call them red flags or are there certain things that really stand out to you that suggest that hey you know you know we've got a lot of supports in place but maybe not enough or maybe we need to look for a therapist or a grief group or you know what are your thoughts about when you know we we have to go outside kind of our family and our social circle and look for more support Yeah so I would say that grief is a natural process and so many families listening I want to reassure you that if you have good supports in place through your community, your neighbors, your church, your synagogue, your, you know, whatever community you're connected to, and you're getting a lot of love and support, you and your children might be just fine with that level of support. So what do we look for when we want to intervene with some more professional supports? So um, grief can look a lot like depression, which makes it really tricky because it's really normal um, when grieving to be very sad, um, to be sort of slowing down and having to work through a lot of different feelings, which might show up as some changes to appetite, sleep interruptions and disruptions. That can be really normal. And what I would say for caregivers is if this goes on for a long time and also if, you know, children are really sort of like that all the time. So versus it coming and going, like maybe being being sort of triggered by, you know, the birthday of the person who died or holidays or the one year anniversary, we would look for a rise in symptoms around some of those triggers. And that's really normal. But if it's consistent and ongoing and persistent, definitely you that would be a flag. Because as we had mentioned earlier, children are very good at grieving in chunks where they can be in the moment. So we would look for them absolutely to have their moments of being really sad or anxious or worried, but then also having moments of being immersed with their activities with friends and being happy. So if it's consistent and really not easing up, that's that's definitely a flag. And if also their perspective is they feel sad about everything. So if it's kind of pervasive and they feel sort of hopeless about life in general, that's a big flag versus if they're just expressing a lot of sadness and despair about the longing for the person who died, which is more focused. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I I think along those, just something you said just kind of triggered something in my mind as well, where, I mean, I guess the other side of it is if they're refusing to kind of, if they're in a kind of a denial and refusing to talk about it and refusing to show any emotions, that might be another, I would think that might be another sign as well. Yes. Yeah. And I think that can be very worrisome for caregivers when they have a child who's really not expressing any feelings and who seems to be just fine, even though they've had a really significant loss. And and so that can be really tricky to deal with. And I would say for those caregivers, go back to some of the things we've discussed where you could put into words what you imagine your child might be experiencing, even if they can't. And they'll tell you if you're wrong. <laughs> and that's, that's what fine I, I too. Find that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's okay if you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, if they're really quiet and you say, oh, I wonder if you're thinking about you know, the person who died, you know, today, I, I can imagine that that might be really hard. And they turn around and say, 
I actually am just really annoyed because my best friend <laughs> did this that really hurt my feelings. Well, then you've got closer yep. to the truth and you can support them yep. with that. So it's not like you're going to make them feel bad about their grief or something by putting that into words for them. They will correct you if it's not about grief. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it can be tricky when kids are just not expressing any feelings at all and seem completely fine. Um, the other thing to remember, which we actually hadn't touched on yet, is shock can stay in place for quite a while for children, especially when it's a sudden unexpected death, even when there's been an illness. So there can be a bit of numbness at play. And so mm -hmm. we have to give kids time for it to sink in. Uh, another flag around getting professional supports would be with anxiety. If anxiety is interfering in everyday life and it's prolonged and it's persistent, there are so many treatments and tools to help children learn to cope with anxiety and also help them process grief and trauma that might be fueling the anxiety. Reach out for support. Any thoughts of self-harm, any suicidality, risk-taking behaviors, definitely reach out for support. You can start with your GP, your family doctor. You can reach out to local mental health, um, children's mental health centers that are usually funded services. Children's hospitals here in Ottawa, we've got CHEO with mental health services. You can even sometimes try through the school because school boards have school social workers and school psychologists who often do step in and help out when families have experienced a loss. Um, definitely do reach out and find out what supports are available. For grief supports, there's also Bereave Families of Ontario, local hospices. So for children that have experienced the death of a sibling, uh, there's Roger Nielsen House here in Ottawa. Other cities have similar hospices. And find out what, what mental health services are available specializing in grief. Thank you for that. Um, so we have covered so much today. Um, such a difficult topic, but, you know, I think it's so important to be talking about it and discussing these things. Um, given all this, the different things that we've talked about today, would you be able to kind of come up with, we usually like to end with three takeaways or kind of three big points. So would you be able to come up with three takeaways from our conversation today? I'll try my best. As you can see, Jen, I can be very chatty. And this is a topic <laughs> that I feel very passionate about. I would say, number one, be honest, clear and establish trust that as much as possible, you'll continue to tell children the truth. Um, that can do so much good for families. And like along that note, involve kids where possible. So we don't have to hold them at arm's length. Death is a part of life and we don't, we don't have to hide that. So, you know, if their loved one is dying and, you know, we talked before about visiting at the hospital, some families might, for some reasons that might not be possible. For example, with COVID, they could make artwork to go up on the wall in their loved one's hospital room. Um, so involve children where possible after a loved one has died, if they can participate in the service in some way, do a reading or, you know, be involved in helping out. This is really empowering and helps kids with coping. So be honest with them, keep them involved and help, help them hold on to that trust that the adults are going to be open with them. Two, going back again to processing emotion with active listening, validate feelings, show kind of endless compassion, because this is, as we said before, not usually a quick, there's no like end to grief, especially when it's the loss of an immediate family member. So respecting that lifelong nature of some grief journeys and continuing to approach children and teens 
with just all those sort of therapeutic techniques of listening and validating feelings. And then a third takeaway that I would highlight, and this is something that I spend a lot of time doing with kids who come in for therapy around grief, is finding ways to really create that ongoing connection with the loved one who has died and honor their memory as best as you can. And that doesn't have to be big and fancy. So we do know there's some families, you know, have beautiful, um, you know, yearly memorials where they do maybe a fundraising event in honor of their loved one. And those are beautiful ways to keep that person's memory alive. But it doesn't have to be that big. You know, it can be, I, I know families where, you know, maybe a parent has died and they, on that person's birthday or on different holidays, they always make that person's favorite cake. And they smile and remember how much their loved one enjoyed that dessert. That's a way to keep that ongoing connection. So it's this idea that the person's physical presence is gone, but actually we can help kids continue to feel the relationship as part of their life. And so this really touches on, you know, the importance of mourning and sort of actively outwardly showing grief. And, you know, ritual and ceremony is great for that and involve kids. So I've brainstormed with kids and their caregivers about what they can do at certain points of the year that are particularly emotional to remember their loved one. So those outlets can be really empowering and healing for children and their families. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about working with kids is they are they're way more creative typically than adults. <laughs> um, and so I think the more you can involve the kid. And again, I kind of, you know, I, I was thinking earlier about people listening to this and kind of looking back and saying, oh, I wish I did that or, you know, but I, I really don't think getting stuck in what you wish you could have done differently is going to be helpful, but more choosing to, okay, but how are we going to move forward, you know, and involving the child and doing some of these things, empowering the child, um, you know, maybe something, some sort of remembrance of, of the person that has been, that ha- has died, those kinds of things. I think that's, that's how we move forward. Right. And that's how we work through this, this grief journey. That's right. So again, it, it's never going to be perfect and it doesn't have to be. And even so, for example, if there was a caregiver listening who, you know, the loss for your child was, a couple of years ago, and you're thinking, wow, I never really thought, you know, to try and create that ongoing connection. And I haven't really wanted to talk too much about the loved one, because I'm just trying to protect them. Know that it's never too late to start doing that. And, and there's so much room to create even more healing for children at any point. So I've worked with lots of families where, you know, we, we talk about how what you did the first year after your loved one died, does not have to be the same as what you do in ongoing years. And you can keep changing it up the ways that you remember them and the ways that you create that ongoing connection. So, you know, if, I mean, if, if you didn't do anything on the one year anniversary, because you just understandably felt really overwhelmed and didn't know what to do and just wanted to get through it. I mean, that is completely okay. But it's also okay to maybe start talking with your kids about the two year anniversary and saying, let's plan something that would be meaningful for us. And that might be really healing for your kids. And it and it might be the perfect time to do it because often actually two years after the loss is often when children are really feeling things even more because there's been some shock and numbness at play at first. So it's never too late to go back and change things up a bit. And again, self-compassion is caregivers. Everyone's doing the best they can. Doesn't have to be perfect. 
But yes, involve kids, ask them to come up with some creative ideas. And when they come up with the ideas, they love <laughs> putting them into play and they yep. feel really proud of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, well, Joanne, I really appreciate you being here today and talking about such a difficult topic. Before we wrap up, was there any last things you wanted to mention? I would just love to say that the death of someone close to a child 100% changes their life. And especially when we think of, for example, parent, children that lose a parent or a sibling, that is a huge change that is kind of then a lifelong journey of grief. But And it is traumatic for children to lose, for example, a parent or sibling. But that does not mean they're left with lasting trauma. So it's a traumatic event in their life. But not all children are left with long-term negative trauma symptoms as a result. So everything we talked about today is really touching on ways we can build resilience and help kids to really have a whole and healthy life, even though they've had this very difficult thing happen to them. And actually, a lot of bereaved children I've worked with, just there's it really touches me to see the journey and how they actually do really learn about how to how to have compassion for others once they've gone through something like that. They're more in tune with others who might be experiencing any kind of suffering. And, you know, even I think of Jen, how many, I mean, we're both talking and we've shared some of our own experiences about how many therapists I know that experienced something like a big loss in their childhood. I have a number of colleagues that have yeah. shared that with me and how I think it played a role in inspiring them to delve more into what people need in terms of support when you go through such a life-changing event. And I think of children I met, like a teen that I met in the hospice years ago. um, And, you know, her brother had died after a long illness and she was so impressed by the nurses she met that she was then determined to become either a nurse or a doctor and help others like her sibling and was really motivated with school and so excited about how she was going to help others. So, you know, we know that children can also grow from this experience in ways that really shape them also to be very compassionate, to understand more about helping others, and also even just to understand how to express their own feelings. And so let's look for ways to empower children to help them cope Um, And then also always remembering any of you listening today are obviously dedicated and looking for ways to support kids and you play a huge role in having that close and connected relationship to helping your child cope and, and learn to carry grief as part of their life journey, but it not be their whole identity. So this is one aspect of their life, but they can have these, they can still build a full and beautiful life as with this as part of their story. That's, uh, that's really wonderful, Joanne. Um, And uh, I just wanted to say one more time, uh, a big thank you um, for covering such a difficult topic today. Um, And just, I think, I think part of the way that you're doing it today is just being open and honest about these things and communicative about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's again, it's kind of like that role modeling we were talking about. So um, I, I really, really appreciate everything you've talked about today. Thank you so much for joining us today. And as you said, you know, my heart goes out to anyone listening that's trying to help, you know, whether it's a child, a grand, you know, a grandparent helping their child, a a parent helping their child, a a friend, whoever you have 
happen to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that you're doing the very best you can. And I really hope that some of the information today has been helpful. So thanks so much, Joanne. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And yeah, likewise, just want to send so much kind of love and compassion to everybody listening and encourage everybody just, you know, to keep, keep bringing that compassion into your relationships with the child in your life. And that alone plays such a huge role in helping them to cope. Yes. Thank you. So thank you, Joanne. Thank you to all our listeners. And as Joanne mentioned, and as we talked about today, just remember to be patient and kind with yourself as well.